in our culture. And I wrote this, a lot of this on Tuesday morning before any result of the election came through because I think it goes both ways. Um, if, if Hillary or Donald, either one, had won, it, it's relevant. And I think it's important for us to, to understand how we respond in a, in a biblical way. And I've talked to a number of you um, this week just to see, you know, how, how are you doing, what's, what, what are your thoughts, what are your concerns, what are your fears, um, and so forth. And so, um, and I've shared with some of you kind of these points and saying, you know, they, they are simplistic in some ways, but yet they are truth. And, and I really want us to understand that, that there, there's truth, there's a, there's a biblical spiritual response that each and every one of us must have that we find from the Scripture. And that's what I want to encourage us to hold to. But there's also a practical response. I'm not saying they're separate, but there's, there's, there's also a practical response or a proactive response as we move forward. And, and that's really what I want to talk about some as well, but, but more in line of giving some simplistic points, four points, four truths, I believe, this, this morning that are important for us as a church and, and as the church universal to move forward. And, you know, my opinion is, in our culture, in the church also, is we are, we are really good at building up to certain events. And then once it's kind of stabilized some or it's not as important or something else comes along, we forget about it. You don't hear anything about Haiti and Hurricane Matthew at this moment. Not saying that anything, nothing's taking place, but think about it. We heard a lot, you know, Category 4 or 5 storm is coming and you heard something for, for a moment. Eastern North Carolina in the same way. We haven't heard that much. Unless you have family members or you visited, you really probably don't know much that's going on in Eastern North Carolina in terms of rebuilding and, and even some of the, the longer-term effects. Again, doesn't mean that it's not happening. It just means it's not in the forefront of our mind. Charlotte, police shooting in Charlotte, riots or protests that took place. It's been a number of weeks now. And we don't think about it too much. Yes, the race issue is still before us in a lot of ways, but in the same way, it's not there. We move from event to event many times in a, react, in a reactive way. And, and the election, I'm not saying we're, re, we're reacting, but there is a reaction that's taking place. And, and, you know, as time puts some distance between Tuesday and moving forward, there will be a healing, there will be a, a grieving, there will be a moving forward. But a lot of times we are reactive versus being proactive. And really I want us to learn how we continue to continually be proactive as a church, as, as Christians, instead of being reactive as culture is many times. Reacting of whatever is big and then once that kind of dies down, moving on to the next thing. And so being proactive means that... Um, that we also understand where we go from here. And that's really the question I want to kind of focus on in a lot of ways is where do we go from here when, um, you know, Ben, I guess Ben stepped out. Oh, Ben just stepped right back in. You know, Ben's, Ben's been having um, a conversation in, in, in a small group with some uh, about race or centering around race and all. And that's been a question that's come out of that is where do we go from here? And, and I think, um, you know, Pastor Kirby, who was here in August, he did something in Charlotte. And that, that seemed to be kind of the theme, according to what Michael was saying, coming out is where do we go from here? Where do we go from here is always, I think, a good question to ask in whatever season we're in. Not just in the moment. Where do we go from here? Lord, where are you taking us as we move forward? And so, you know, if you are experiencing fear, if you're experiencing hopelessness, if you're experiencing just uncertainty, if you're conflicted, I just want to say kind of what Michael said is, is God is sovereign. 
Again, that is a very simple truth, and it's, it's very simple words. And we have to stop and think, what does it mean to say God is sovereign? Yes, we still have the ability to make choice, but nothing surprises God, nothing at all. You know, a little over a year ago, I, I, I talked about cultural aspects or, or some aspects happening in our culture and, and how every generation says, this is the worst it's ever been. And the next generation comes along and says, no, this is the worst it's been. And the sky is not falling. We, we sometimes live with that mentality. Oh my gosh, the sky is falling. That's not to dismiss any fear. It's not to dismiss any, anyone's concerns. It's not to dismiss that there's, there's a stirring and there's stuff that's going on. But the sky is not falling. God is in control. God is faithful. God is loving. God is caring. God is good. God is great. And we need to hold to that in so many ways. There's a sovereignty that is there. And, and God has gotten us through so much history. You know, Pastor Wayne, when he was here a little over a year ago, he, he kind of hit on that a little bit. If you remember, he said, hey, and, I, and the only thing I remember is, hey, he got us through Elvis and, and that type of, of, of cultural revolution. But, you know, he was basically saying, hey, God's gotten us through civil war. God has gotten us through revolutionary war. God's gotten us through uh, world events, World War II, and, and, and so forth. And God will get us through each and every event that we face moving forward. What is God doing in this? Where do we, how do we move forward? And I just want to encourage us through the Bible because I think in context, Paul lived in a, in a very difficult place. Really, all the New Testament disciples in the time of the Roman Empire lived in a very difficult place. But their, their focus was on a mission of God. Their, their focus was not necessarily on what they saw before them, but on what, what God was doing in the midst of what they saw before them. You know, the early church, they faced persecution from, from different sides. They faced it from the side of the Jews saying this is a cult. This is something that, that, is, that is, we don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. And there was a persecution that came that way. But even in the Roman Empire, there's great persecution. Anytime there was a new religion that came forth, new, a new way of worship, the Romans were very concerned about how it was going to affect society. Would it cause chaos in society? Would it cause stability or continue to maintain stability in society or not? And most of the time, the conclusion was it was going to cause some kind of disruption in society. Thus, we're going to, we're going to squash it. We're going to make sure it doesn't exist. And so with Christianity, there was a suspicion, great suspicion and great concern from the Roman Empire about Christianity. In fact, Jesus had said he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Only Caesar could be the king of kings or the Lord of lords, right? And oh yeah, by the way, these Christians had eaten the body of their king and drank the blood of their king. So you can see there's suspicion. There's a lot of unknown. And thus they, they wanted to kind of come and abolish Christianity in whatever way that they could. But yet Paul and Peter and others in the New Testament, they remain very upbeat that God is moving, God is sovereign, God is beyond these things. And, and they kept a, a focus of their mission before them. What, is, what are some of these keys that, that Paul had in terms of having a very different perspective? One, as I've said, he, he knew God was in control. But second, he also, Paul saw a kingdom that was not of earth. It was a kingdom of the Lord, a kingdom of God that could not be shaken. And he knew his calling, his place on his life, and he knew who he answered to. And so for us, do we see the same thing? Do we see, th same, do we see things with the same perspective as Paul or Peter or the other New Testament disciples did that's bigger than anything that we're seeing before us? And again, I'm not saying any of this to minimize anyone's fear or concern, 
but to, but to give us a perspective as believers of, of what is biblical in terms of a response, how, what the Word speaks to us. And so what I want to share this morning is really four keys with us. What are the keys that we can learn from Paul or Peter or, or the other New Testament disciples and apply to our own lives as we move forward in, in that practical, simplistic way? This is one side. There's another side that I don't know if we'll get into necessarily this week, but, um, but Ben's going to come and share some next week, which I believe will, will illuminate some of that other side. But first, I want to encourage us that, that the key that I see in Scripture is humility. Paul was humble, or humble, I don't care how you say it. I'm from the mountains. I'm from rural North Carolina, too, so I say humble. I put that H in there, right? Paul was humble, or humble. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3, it says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look, look, or let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves. James 4, verse 6. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, so I don't know if it's matching what's up here or not. It says, But he gives grace but yeah, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Luke 14, 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Proverbs 22, 4, the reward for, huma- for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. 1 Peter 5 and 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the, at the proper time he may exalt you. In Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I was reminded of this quote from a leadership book that I read um, a while ago. It says, humble people are responsive to God, themselves, and others. Proud people are resistant. Everyone else is the problem. Humble yourself, or humble people understand their dependence on God and yield to him. Proud people are their gods and overemphasize themselves. What I like about this quote is the emphasis on dependence upon God and the yielding to God. That's a key to humility. Because when we humble ourselves, when we're dependent upon God and we're yielding ourselves, then we see how God is moving. And a lot of times we, it's hard for us in, in the midst of, of what is before our face and before our eyes or even in a place of, of pride in whatever way that we define that to miss what God is doing in those moments. It takes humility, a dependence and a yielding to God for us to to begin to see how God is moving. 2 Kings chapter 5 came to mind this week. It's a story of Naaman. You're probably familiar with this story. Naaman was the commander, the the high commander of the the army of Aram. Had a lot of favor with the king. You can see right here. Was a great man in his master's sight, highly regarded because through him, and I think this is interesting, through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a brave warrior but he had this skin disease. Now, a lot of times we read this, as a, we think it's a story of healing, and I think there is a story of healing, but to me there's a story of pride versus humility that takes place here. Because here's Naaman with these great accomplishments, the greatest warrior in, in that season of time, but he's got this skin disease. And in the house of, um, of Naaman, and I don't remember what verse this is in, there's, there's an there's a Israelite lady, here it is. It says, And Abraham had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. Here's this lowly servant from Israel, a, a woman 
in culture at that time, probably the lowest of the lows, to, to be a young girl and serving. And she goes to Naaman, in some way, me recreating this, and says, you should go to Israel. There's a great prophet there, Elisha, who will heal you. God is working through him. And out of desperation, but yet still in pride, he goes and he takes all these people with him. He takes all these goods. He's going to impress um, this prophet and, and not necessarily force a healing, but basically say, because I'm such a great man, you have no choice but to heal me because I'm doing great things in the world. The king of Israel is upset because these people are coming. And Elijah says, I think in verse 8, hey, send them to me. It's not a problem. Can we go to verse 8? So when he heard that the king of Israel tore his clothes, he sent a message. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me and he will know there's a prophet in Israel. This is part where you're probably really familiar with the story. So, so Naaman goes to Elijah, but Elijah sends his servant out and gives him a, a kind of a command. Go and bathe yourself seven times in the, in the Jordan River. And this guy, you can see his pride. Naaman's pride is like, whoa, this guy didn't even come out to see me. He didn't wave his hand over the spot. He didn't lay hands on me. He didn't interface with me. I am the great warrior. I could have bathed in Damascus. But see, God was moving here. And it's in that pride that Naaman wasn't able to see the way that God was moving. But again, a servant spoke and said, you've come all this way. You should try it. And you can begin to see the pride starting to crack in Naaman's heart and in his mind. And he says, okay. And he goes and he bathes in the River Jordan. Seven times as he was instructed, he comes out and he's healed. And the heart has changed so much that he goes back, I believe in, in verse 13, and, and he says, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he tells you? Oh, that's, that's about the servants doing it. It must be a later verse. But he says, now I know that there is a one true and living God, Yahweh, and he is the only true and living God. You see, Naaman could have missed what God was doing in his pride. And look, I'm not saying people are prideful in, in any way here, but my point is in humility, we can see what God is doing and we can come along with God as well as we have a dependence and a yielding to him. I want us to understand that, that we have to be humble. It takes a humility in our hearts to pray, to pray for people that we don't agree with, to pray for people we don't like. We've been talking about this for, for weeks about loving people and I've shared stories of, of people, hard people in my life that, that I, I have a hard time praying for them sometimes. I have a hard time just interfacing with them. But the word says something different. Point number two or key number two is I think we have to have a vision for the kingdom and that its kingdom or the kingdom of God is overall. In Peter, I'm sorry, not Peter, in Timothy, Paul, Paul writes, he says, You, um, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That scripture struck me this week as I was reading it, is, is share in the sufferings as a good soldier. As a soldier who goes into battle, we are soldiers. We're called to be the ambassadors, to be the light, to be the salt. We're, we're also soldiers for Christ in, in, in a lot of ways. 
And when hardship comes, when there's just not, not a little bit, but any, any amount, little or a lot of hardship comes, our human nature is just to kind of stop throwing the towel, give up, to run another way, to have, to have different things. But what, Paul, what Peter is saying is share in that suffering. Don't give up. He goes on to say no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the recruiter. And I'm not saying we don't get involved in the marketplace. We don't get involved in, in certain things in our culture. That's not what, what Scripture is saying. But it says, verse 5, Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give understanding in everything. And so as soldiers, we, we must not give up. We must continue to fight for, for what the commanding officer has given us, the plans. And the commanding officer, which is Christ, has given us the plan to advance his kingdom, to bring reconciliation to the world around us. Now, there's a credibility issue I don't necessarily want to get into this morning because, because of maybe the election and the way the church, a lot of segments of the church voted. But, but I believe God is even greater than that if it's, if it's creating credi credibility among certain demographics. That we, the church still has to be a place to where we bring reconciliation to the world. And it really has to start within the church. And for us, another part of that proper vision is understanding who we are as a church. We are multi-ethnic. We have people here, I think, Ben, you said it at the beginning, there's a, there's a whole wide range of emotions. There's some who, who are probably happy with results, and there's some who are not happy with the results. There's, there's a lot of that that's there. But there also, we have to understand that the enemy wants to divide us. The enemy's scheme employee is, is to divide us, to pit, pit us one against another. It happens in marriage all the time when there's just a simple misunderstanding. I mean, it happened probably three times this week where I said something or Carrie said something. It's like, what did you say? As you know, as you're kind of clarifying in some ways. Because initially when, when it's, you're heard, it, it hits you in the heart a little bit. Like, I can't believe she just said that. What? And then you clarify. The enemy wants to divide. You see, it, you see it in so many relationships that the enemy wants to divide. But the Lord wants us to be unified. And how much more can we as a church be a witness to the world around us? Look, we've got to have discussions in this. We've got to have and understand there's a tension that here within this place, it exists. And tension is not always bad. Conflict is not always bad when it's done and talked about in the right way. And so the proper vision allows us to know, look, God has given us his kingdom to advance, but he's, used, he's using imperfect people to advance his kingdom. That means we need to dialogue. It means that we need to understand. It means we need to keep the vision of the kingdom in front of us. Number three is obvious to me. It's pray. We must pray. Paul also writes to Timothy, he says, I urge you then, first of all, that Petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We've got to pray. That's true through all ages. You know, Paul's writing this to Timothy in the midst of a Roman empire. You know, in the Roman Empire, all authority laid in Caesar, who then delegated it out to his provincial governors. And the provincial governor was above the law. 
Even though there were laws where you could take that governor to court, you never would take that governor to court because who appointed that governor was Caesar. And to go to court meant you went to Rome and you really stood in front of Caesar. It was a no-win. You could do it and it would cost you time and money, but no one would do it. It was absolute power. And that governor had a charge to keep peace in that province or that region that they, they kind of oversaw a rule at whatever cost because you want to keep Caesar happy. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, pray for these kings and those in authority, those who, who abuse, those who, who take advantage, those who think they are above the law, so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. We're called to pray for every leader, the ones we agree with, ones that we don't agree with. We're to pray for Congress, House, Senate. We're to pray for President. We're to pray for Governor, Lieutenant Governor. We're to pray for our city council. We're, we're, we're called to pray, and I believe the church forgets this many times, to pray. Jeremiah prophesied to the Israelites, and he said, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. To pray for ba to Babylon is, is really what he's saying. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Can you imagine hearing this from Jeremiah, that the Lord is saying, Pray for Babylon? This, this nation that just came into your land and destroyed it, that killed people, burned cities, who knows what else, plundered the whole land, just to kind of keep it at that. And Jeremiah is saying, pray. Pray for this city that you now live in, this kingdom that you now live in, that you, you have no idea what's going on. So it may prosper. You know, the, the prayer is not, Lord, send down lightning bolts upon Babylon. It is so that it may prosper. Again, it, there's a humility that starts with. There's a, a second that we're, we're focused upon the kingdom that allows us to do it. And of course, First Chronicles 7. Is it First Chronicles or Second Chronicles? It's Second Chronicles. I, gave, I wrote down First Chronicles here and just realized it's Second Chronicles. I'll, I'll just read it. It says, and most of you should hopefully are familiar with this, it's Solomon is, is dedicated to the temple basically, and the Lord is responding. He says, this is the Lord speaking, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I close the sky so there's no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pedulance on my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And my eyes will now be opened and my ears attentive to the prayer from this place. For I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. There's a call to prayer. And I think a lot of what the Lord is, is doing in this time is calling us to prayer. You know, corporate prayer has been devalued in a lot of ways. I think, I think the corporate prayer within the church is, is not valued in a lot of ways. And I almost want to turn around because I'm not speaking to anyone in particular. But, you know, I encourage you to come to corporate prayer on Wednesday nights because we're going to be praying in ways that God's, I believe, wanting to move. But also I encourage you to be in corporate prayer with other people. Two or more people, pray in your households. Have corporate prayer in your home. Don't just have your quiet time separately, but pray together as a husband and a wife. Pray together as a family. Pray together with your roommate. Pray in the workplace. Pray wherever in, in the neighborhood. Pray. Call someone up here within the body and pray. Be intentional to meet so we pray together. Prayer is going to be such a key. And fourth, I think, and I really know how to, how to put this into words other than just that we have to be intentional. 
And it's much more than just being intentional. I think we have to be intentional to love, to care, to listen, and to understand. Peter um, writes, 1 Peter chapter 4, he's, he's writing and reminding um, the believers that he's writing to that, hey, Christ has died for you. There's been this salvation that has come. Don't live according to your earthly passions. And, he, and in chapter um, 4, verse 8, he says, above, or he, he says, therefore, at the end of chapter 7, be clear-minded, sober, so that you can pray. I think clear-minded goes back to humility, sober, clear vision, so that you can pray. Verse 8, above all, love one another deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sin. I don't know how to really talk about that verse other than just let the verse speak to us, that we have to love people, because love does so much. Above all, lo love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. You know, Ben and I were talking and, and you know, one thing that, that we, we were talking about is, um, you know, with, within our own family, within this church, we have to make sure that we have discussions, that we're talking to people. Because, you know, your own perspective may be different than someone else's. Your assumption is probably different than someone else's thought or opinion or, or even their own assumption. But it takes great humility to come and ask someone, hey, how are you doing? What are your thoughts on this? And listen to understand. It's one thing I love about this church. Uh, one thing this church has taught me is there's always more than my perspective. There's always more um, as believers People who serve the same God, but a lot of us have different, different skin color or different ethnic background. We see God from a different perspective many times, which is awesome because it creates a facet of so many different things. A diamond is beautiful. A diamond reflects so much. And I think there's, there's a beauty that comes in that as well as we're, as we're able to reflect the glory of God through different perspectives and backgrounds. You know, we talk about race and race, race reconciliation you know, understanding my background, my perspective, sometimes I have a different view. You know, I've talked to some of you, but I've learned also what it's like to walk in other people's shoes from listening and understanding, not always agreeing or, or, or seeing that necessarily. And I think vice versa. That's the beauty of the body. We may not always agree on every issue. We may not always agree on every non-essential that is in the Word, but we can love each other deeply. And we can love and understand where people are coming from. And with that creates a unity that honors and glorifies God. Look, these are simple truths in a lot of ways, and they're abstract in some ways. It doesn't necessarily answer the, the more practical question of how, how we walk it out, except that we are to love the Lord God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to pray. We're to have humility. We are to have a vision of the kingdom before us. The enemy wants to divide us. And I think, you know, we, we stand in a place as a church to be able to, to be a witness to the world around us, to be able to be healing within this body for those that are hurting, to, to, to be able to be healing to the world around us, to be able to push forth God's purpose and kingdom here on earth and be ministers of reconciliation. It's not meant to be easy. And in fact, if it's comfortable, we're just sitting in the boat. We've talked about getting out on the water. We've talked about shaking that's going to take place at times. 
The Lord knows what He's doing. He's shaking us sometimes to draw us back to Him. He's putting a splinter in our bottom sometimes so we get up and we get to the edge and we take that step out on the water. We've talked about this all year long. My prayer is that we learn how to take the things that we've heard, the things that God has, has, has spoken to us, and begin to know how to put that into action. Look, again, this is a very general abstract thing, that, that not necessarily abstract, but just very general, some things I'm saying. I think as we continue to move forward, some of the more practical things will come out. But God cares for each and every one of us. He cares for the city. He cares for the state. He cares for this nation. He cares for the world. God's desire is that each person may come to know him. Bottom line, he cares for the Muslim, he cares for the Buddhist, he cares for the Christian. Actually, I decided to cut this out, but I think I'm going to put it back in. The, the, the Southern Baptist, um, and don't, don't throw anything at me because I'm bringing in someone from the Southern Baptist, but um, Russell Moore, who's the Ethics and Religious Liberties Director, I've read some of his stuff in the past, and he gets it. And I think he sums up this, he wrote an article in response to, to the election, and I, I really think he, he, he sums it up in a, in a great way. Um, he says, we are not first Republicans or Democrats, conservatives or progressives. We're not even, first of all, the United States of America. We are the church of the resurrected and triumphant Lord Jesus. We have survived everything from the rage of Nero to that of Middle Eastern terror cells. We have, in fact, often done best when we are what one historian calls the patient ferment of a church alive with the gospel. We are called to be that ferment, that, that catalyst of a church alive with the gospel. That is our focus, Lord, that, that we would push forth the gospel in the midst of whatever is happening around us, that we would not necessarily be consumed. Look, I'm not minimizing fears or uncertainty. That we wouldn't be consumed with things in the world. We can be consumed with Christ as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be put into order. So, Lord, we pray this morning just for, for us, for Piedmont International Church, for, for each member that is here, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your sovereignty. I thank you for your love for each and every one of us. Lord, there's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of things that, that some of us have. And Lord, I pray that, that you will just comfort us and give us peace. Lord, I pray that, that you will give us answers to the questions where, where we understand and, and can understand. But Lord, we, we turn and we choose to turn and look to you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you that your kingdom is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That earthly kingdoms come and go, but you remain. And we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I pray that you help us to answer the question, how do we move forward in a proactive way as a body of Christ? Lord, I pray that you season our conversations with love and with grace as we have these conversations. Lord, I thank you even for the tension that exists. Lord, have your way with us. Refine us, Lord. Take us through the fire so that we may be pure gold so that we may be greater, greater servants in your kingdom, Lord, that we may represent you as ambassadors in greater ways so our light may shine brighter. Lord, I pray for healing over those that, that, whose hearts are hurting this morning. Jesus, I thank you that you are peace and I thank you that you are comfort. So just thank you that you live in our hearts and that you are bringing that peace and comfort to each person, Lord. 
Lord, I thank you for such a beautiful body as, as this church. Lord, the willingness that each person has, the great sacrifice that each person has, has, has really made to come together and be an old, a multi-ethnic blend. It would be easier to go and, and, and be in, in groups that are more like ourselves. But Lord, you've called us to a greater commission, a greater mission, and I thank you for that. Lord, I just bless each person here. Bless them, Lord. Bless them in their time of just interacting with you. Speak to each and every one of us. Bless our time of being in the word. Bless our time of, of prayer. Bless our times of worship. Bless our times of, of outreach and discipleship. And Lord, we thank you that you are good. God, you are good, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want our prayer ministers to come forward this morning. If you need prayer, um, they are here.